So, it's been a little while since we checked in on the ongoing disputes in the film and television industry between the big studios and the labor unions representing the workers who create the big studios' products. Uh, the Writers Guild of America strike is currently in its third month with no end in sight, and while the Directors Guild of America was able to reach a deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers last month to avoid a potential strike, SAG-AFTRA, the union representing actors and other types of performers, is right on the cusp of joining the WGA out there on the picket line. Mm -hmm. In fact, by the time you're watching this, they may already be on strike. Yeah. The deadline for a new contract agreement is 11.59 p.m. Wednesday night. And as of when we're filming this, a little earlier in the night, things are pretty tense. It's uh, outlook not good. Yeah, and not having unionized writers is a big problem for Hollywood. But it's a problem they have, uh, you know, a few tricks for getting around and continuing to produce content. Not having actors in addition to not having writers is a huge fucking problem. And one that you'd think the studios would be doing everything in their power to prevent. There has not been a full-scale actor strike in Hollywood since 1980. And there hasn't been a joint actors and writers strike since 1960. But here we are, potentially. So how did we get here? Well, it's pretty much the same reasons the writers have also been on strike. Most of the writers' concerns also apply to actors. And it's very important to remember that the vast majority of card-carrying SAG-AFTRA members are not movie stars and are not millionaires. Acting is a precarious profession that usually requires living in L.A. or New York City, where the cost of living is very high, and working actors have seen their piece of the pie shrink as Hollywood has gone increasingly all-in on streaming, with the potential to shrink even more with the rise of A.I. And here's the Washington Post with a nice little summary of SAG-AFTRA's concerns. Many actors and writers say that the rise of streaming giants, including Netflix and Disney Plus, have transformed the industry for the worse, with studios trying to turn writers into gig workers, cut workers out of profits yielded by streaming projects, and slash production costs. Shorter season orders and longer hiatuses between seasons makes it increasingly difficult for our members to achieve and maintain a middle-class lifestyle working as a performer, reads a statement on SAG-AFTRA's website. Writers are particularly worried about early experiments with AI and want guarantees that chatbots of the future won't replace human jobs. Actors in particular want to regulate the technology so that studios can't use it to mimic their likenesses without their permission or compensation. SAG-AFTRA leaders are also asking for regulations on the rising trend of self-tapes, audition videos that actors are expected to record themselves. The AMPTP generally has argued that such demands would prevent studios from innovating and hobble them at a time when streaming subscriptions have fallen and thousands of workers are being laid off in the entertainment industry. This is bad timing, guys! <sighs> uh, well, for a more specific example of why actors really want changes made, Here's a section of an LA Times article about this, featuring actor Eric Edelstein, who is definitely one of those actors you probably don't know by name, but have seen and heard in smaller roles in just a bunch of stuff. So according to Edelstein, even if the SAG-AFTRA no negotiators came back with a 20% increase in streaming residuals, the fees from that form of distribution would still be so far away from how the old model used to pay. Case in point, Edelstein still collects checks from cable reruns of the 2015 film Jurassic World, in which he had a small role as a paddock supervisor for dinosaurs. In a recent quarter, the cable residuals totaled $1,400. By comparison, he received only $40 for reruns of the movie on streaming platforms during the same period, he said. Hmm. Do you think more people are watching Jurassic World on cable than are on streaming? Like, a hundred times more? I don't think so. 
Anyway, that LA Times article does a great job highlighting how pretty much every previous labor dispute in Hollywood has been over union members wanting to be properly compensated in the wake of technological changes to distribution, like movies being broadcast on TV and movies becoming available on home video. But AI raises the stakes significantly higher. Uh, they quote USC professor Stephen J. Ross, who says, all previous strikes were about getting a better share of revenue. This strike is about that, but it's also about the fear of losing your job to AI. That's the difference, and that's why I think everybody sees this as a kind of high noon showdown, because now the technology is not simply about undercutting your wage, it's undercutting your very job. So it's understandable why the Actors Union doesn't want to budge on these issues, but the AMPTP doesn't want to budge either and also seems to be under the impression that most SAG members don't actually give a shit about this stuff. From Variety, Sources close to the negotiations say the AMPTP representatives and member company leaders are frustrated at what they see as SAG-AFTRA's intransigence. There's a strong feeling that a militant minority in the union is having outsized influence on the negotiating strategy, with no regard to the heavy toll that a strike would take on actors, as well as other unions and myriad businesses that bank on production-related work. SAG-AFTRA literally held a vote last month on whether to strike if their demands aren't met, and the results were 98% in favor of a strike. But sure, I, I, you know, I guess when you consider that only 48% of eligible voters cast a vote, you could justify to yourself that this is just a, a militant minority in the union. I mean, technically only, uh, what, 46%, 47% of the union uh, gave a... a... <laughs> Enthusiastic affirmative yes on yeah. striking, so uh, I think we've who's, got the leverage here. Who's to say? Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that Variety article, which was published on Tuesday, was mostly about a certain last-ditch effort from the AMPTP to avert a strike. Top Hollywood players are working on a plan to call in federal mediators to help avert a sag after strike with just a day to go before the contract deadline. A group of CEOs and senior executives, including Disney TV chief Dana Walden and film chief Alan Bergman, Warner Brothers Discovery's David Zaslav, and Netflix's Ted Sarandos, gathered by conference call Monday evening to discuss the urgent situation with SAG-AFTRA poised to go on strike as soon as Thursday. And uh, yeah, SAG-AFTRA has apparently agreed to bring in some, some of those feds to mediate their talks with the studios, but they don't seem very optimistic about this changing anything. It would be hilarious. It would be, I hope he doesn't do this. I hope it would be fucked up. But it would be hilarious if Joe Biden did what he did to the railway workers, to the Screen Actors Guild. Mm -hmm. America needs movies, Jack. That's right. <laughs> do it, Biden. Pull the lever. Don't do it. Come on, Union Joe. Uh, one of the cool things about this situation is that uh, with the Writers Guild already on strike, SAG-AFTRA gets a nice glimpse at what the studios really think about the creative talent they depend on which helps to drive home the need for solidarity between the unions. And an article this week in Deadline about the WGA strike certainly cannot have helped with the SAG-AFTRA negotiations. No, and no, no. This is a doozy. This is literally saying the quiet part out loud. And <laughs> I, I can't, we're, we're a family here, right? I right? can't believe that someone said this and they printed it and everyone was like, all right, this is going to look make us look fantastic. By the way, that's on the record. <laughs> you can print that. Yeah. 
Receiving positive feedback from Wall Street since the WGA went on strike May 2nd, Warner Brothers Discovery, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Paramount, and others have become determined to break the WGA, as one studio exec blatantly put it. To do so, the studios and the AMPTP believe that by October, most writers will be running out of money after five months on the picket lines and no work. <sighs> Quote, The end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, a studio executive told Deadline. Acknowledging the cold-as-ice approach, several other sources reiterated the statement. One insider called it a cruel but necessary evil. The studios and streamers next think financially strapped writers would go to WGA leadership and demand they restart talks before what could be a very cold Christmas. In that context, the studios and streamers feel they would be in a position to dictate most of the terms of any possible deal. Woo! Wow! <laughs> Uh, I mean, I love this because, yeah, they are saying the quiet part out loud. We've uh, pretty much during my entire lifetime, their labor has been weak. Uh, we've operated under this bullshit uh, artifice of uh, we're all a family here and, uh, you know, you need to sacrifice for me, the executive, the one with all the brains. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, this is great, great ammunition for uh, labor solidarity and whatnot. It really just goes and proves these people don't give a fuck about you. That's right. Uh, Eddie Burback had probably the best quote about this. It's, I I'll mangle the quote, but it was basically like, when the two sides, one side will lose their homes and the other side will not even feel yeah. the effects of giving in to the other. It's clear. I, I don't know which side should be the, uh, the one that gets what they want. Who's to say? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that went over about as well as you can imagine. Uh, striking writers were given yet another reason to believe that the studios are purely motivated by greed and do not value their labor, which merely served to strengthen their resolve. And the same was true for the actors on the verge of their own strike. Mm -hmm. So good job, studios. You did it. And perfect timing, too. <laughs> on the verge of yet yeah. another strike. Right before, right? They just threw more gasoline onto a fire. Yeah. That they're trying, that, well, actually, they're not trying to put out, but... Hey, uh, this is what we really think about you, by the way. Yeah. We fucking hate you. We want to replace you by robots because we fucking hate you. Yeah, it's just like people who, online, who uh, are, like, just furious that people get to have a, even a, a not fruitful creative career. Also, they're fucking bullshitting. Yeah. The studios cannot afford to just... No, they can't. Yeah, like, I mean, they can afford, but, like, they have shareholders. Like, this is they a, can't hold out that long. This is a... The shareholder stuff Five is, is a temporary reaction to all of this. Because yeah. if they don't have any content or anything to put up, like... Eventually, that like people are going to get tired of watching reruns. We the the American public hasn't even felt yeah. the writer strike yet because of how production works. You they'll start to feel it and start to notice it and say, "Hey, what's going on this fall?" This fall is the first time that oh, you, yeah. that your average person will be wow, like, TV fucking sucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder what's been going on for six months. Yeah, so they're totally posturing. They're like, "Yeah, I mean, keep striking. I'm fine over here." But like, that's fucking bullshit. They actually are very hard-pressed for money. That's the whole reason they don't want to sign these contracts in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, interesting that that's the strategy they're taking, though. But, yeah, the AMPTP, of course, immediately, <laughs> once this was published, they came out with official statements uh, distancing themselves from the sentiments expressed in that article, saying... These anonymous people are not speaking on behalf of the AMPTP or member companies who are committed to reaching a deal and getting our industry back to work. 
But alas, the rake had already been stepped. Yeah, I think they probably took a step back and said, oh, that didn't come out right. Whoops. I could see how people would, uh, you know. It sounded so <laughs> cool when we were looking at it in the boardroom. But yeah, yeah now that you mention it, if I was uh, not extremely rich, this might come off as callous. Yeah. Cruel. <laughs> it's nuts. When I read that, I could not believe that someone said that. And yeah. was Well, we ran the article through ChatGPT and asked if it was a bit much and said it was totally fine. So uh... Come up with a <laughs> uh, response to the unions that proves that we are stronger and can hold out longer than them <laughs> in a way that really twists the knife. Yeah. <laughs> just in the most antagonistic way possible. <laughs> yeah. Just ghoulish, honestly. But yeah, by the time you're watching this, SAG-AFTRA will either already be on strike or will have cut a last-minute deal. And whatever happens, we'll cover it uh, on the next episode of News Dump or whatever. But in other AI news, though, let's move on to some potentially good news. ChatGPT may have already peaked. In the first half of this year, news about how generative AI would completely transform society and render huge chunks of the workforce obsolete were constant and unavoidable. But more recently, the hype train has definitely been slowing down a bit. And the timing, if you look at the, the peaks and valleys of NFT adoption uh -huh. last year, and look at AI, the trends of There's AI this cycle. year. It's, yes. It's, this is just something we're going to be doing every like two also, years forever. This is just another perfect timing of uh, the hopes and dreams of what uh, generative AI could accomplish and how uh, the industry is reacting to that versus what it's turning out to be. Yeah. And now the, the, the film industry, the TV industry, entertainment industry looking at it going, ah, shit, we might actually <laughs> need those writers. Yeah, I mean, they do have time on their side because, like, the whole point with these contracts is the studios, they know. They're like, yeah, streaming is, out, like, TV won't fucking exist in five years. Mm -hmm. But we need to make them think that TV is, uh, you get still a lot of money in TV. Mm -hmm. So the studios are like, they're, they are banking on AI eventually getting good enough to write scripts and shit. But yeah, yeah for now, it is funny that they, it's fallen off a they cliff. definitely staked their flag in this when it looked like the only way was up. Mm -hmm. And that's... Does not appear to be this the is case the, right now. This is the Justin Bieber bored ape of uh, <laughs> next generation technology. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not only has the hype train slowed down, the amount of people actually using ChatGPT also. Bye-bye. <whistles> Here's the Washington Post. The number of people visiting AI chatbot ChatGPT's website and downloading its app fell for the first time since its launch in November, a sign that consumer interest in artificial intelligence chatbots and image generators may be beginning to wane. Mobile and desktop traffic to ChatGPT's website worldwide fell 9.7% in June from the previous month, according to internet data firm SimilarWeb. Downloads of the bot's iPhone app, which launched in May, have also steadily fallen since peaking in early June, according to data from Sensor Tower. Now, this may not be as exciting as it seems on the surface, though. I mean, you got to remember that one of the primary use cases for ChatGPT is cheating on homework. And this timeline does line up pretty well with school being out for summer. Uh, you know, also, you're in your dorm, you're talking to your AI girlfriend. It's summertime, it's nice out. Time yeah. to go back outside and touch grass. Get a real girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, but only for the summertime. Yeah, sorry, babe. <laughs> My replica is waiting for me. Yeah, this is, this is summer love exclusively. Uh, so even if that is the main ex explanation, though, it's not a great sign when usage of your revolutionary world-altering product craters as soon as there's no more homework. And it's definitely <laughs> not the only reason. Uh, from the article again, 
You had this moment where it was like, oh my God, it's awesome, said Sachin Dev Dugal, chief executive of Builder.ai, a startup that uses artificial intelligence to help people build mobile apps. Then, as people began to encounter the chatbot making up false information, they realized it wasn't as broadly useful as they initially thought, he said. Once again, we were fucking right. We called this shit. We called this shit like six months ago. Yeah, also, the images still to look like shit and are easily identifiable. And even when they don't look like shit, they just look weird. Uninspired. There's, uh, I'll, I, you know, I'll just call it out. Boing Boing uses fucking AI for all of their thumbnails. Yeah. And I get why, because then it becomes like kind of free use yeah. or whatever. But you can always tell because everything has this waxy sheen on it. Yeah. They looks like wax figurines or something. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's uncanny valley and I don't like looking at it. And it's just not that useful. Unless you already have a background in image manipulation. Yeah. Uh, what you get is what you get for the most part. Like, what are you going to do? Like, oh, this is 90% perfect, but I just wish it could change this, this, and this. And it's like, oh, well, well that's not really how it works. Sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I was saying the other day, the one thing it's done that's good is that if it isn't a very apparent that it's an AI creation, people will 100% believe it's real. Mm. Like, I doctored that Zuckerberg uh, story. Oh, yeah. And because it doesn't have any AI look to yeah, it... Yeah, you just put text just, on it. Yeah, it just... Photoshop is now a superpower yeah. because everyone either went one way or the other with it. So, uh, the old guys are back in the chair. Yeah, old guys rule. <laughs> That's I'm, right. I'm retired. Don't ask me to do a damn thing. <laughs> but yeah, ChatGPT, it can do a lot of things, but not being able to trust whether anything it says is true eliminates most of its supposed usefulness. Yeah. A labor-saving technology doesn't really save you much labor if you have to double-check all of its work, <laughs> especially if you have a financial stake in that work being correct. This has, been, this has been the funniest journey of the AI saga, is people trying to use it in legitimate scenarios and having it fail in increasingly funny ways every time. Yeah. Legally... Uh, just in, in, in articles stealing from other people's work, in some cases stealing from their own work. Uh, just the, the funniest thing is when lawyers try to use it and yeah. literally tank their entire careers because they bet yeah. one small case on an AI doing the work well, for the them. Well, the AI said it was true. Yeah. But yeah, I guess the real test is what happens to these chat GPT stats once school is back in session. Mm -hmm. We'll see. And speaking of chat GPT in schools, uh, we have talked a lot about how efforts to detect AI-generated text can cause as much, if not more, trouble than the AI-generated text itself mm -hmm. uh, from people not understanding how the AI works and how detecting it works. And here is a very unfortunate example of that uh, from The Guardian. Computer programs that are used to detect essays, job applications, and other work generated by artificial intelligence can discriminate against people who are non-native English speakers, researchers say. Tests on seven popular AI text detectors found that articles written by people who did not speak English as a first language were often wrongly flagged as AI-generated, a bias that could have a serious impact on students, academics, and job applicants. Scientists led by James Zhao, an assistant professor of biomedical data science at Stanford University, ran 91 English essays written by non-native English speakers through seven popular GPT detectors to see how well the programs performed. More than half of the essays, which were written for a widely recognized English proficiency test known as the Test of English as a Foreign Language, or TOEFL, were flagged as AI-generated, with one program flagging 98% of the essays as composed by AI. 
When essays written by native English-speaking 8th graders in the U.S. were run through the programs, the same AI detectors classed more than 90% as human-generated. Wow, that fucking sucks. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So, oof. Bad. I guess just add that to the pile of various ways that AI discriminates against minorities. As if being a minority wasn't difficult enough already in this country. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, but moving on now to some potentially good news, especially for writers whose own work is being used by AI to put them out of business. We've got ourselves another lawsuit, folks, mm -hmm. and this one involves multiple best-selling authors coming after OpenAI and Meta for using their copyrighted works as AI training data. Here's the New York Times. The comedian Sarah Silverman has joined a class-action lawsuit against OpenAI and another against Meta, accusing the companies of copyright infringement, saying they copied and ingested her protected work in order to train their artificial intelligence programs, according to court papers. The lawsuits, in which she joined the authors Christopher Golden and Richard Cadre, were filed Friday in the San Francisco division of the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of California. Each suit says that the company in question made copies of the author's works, including Silverman's memoir, The Bedwetter, without permission by scraping illegal online shadow libraries that contain the texts of thousands of books. The lawsuit against Meta cites the company's own research paper about LLAMA, the large language model it uses to train chatbots. According to the paper made public in February, scientists included text from the pile within their training dataset. The lawsuit says some of that text comes from shadow libraries. Quote, their copyrighted materials were copied and ingested as part of training, the lawsuit claims. Many of the plaintiff's books appear in the data set that Meta admitted to using. They admit it. They admit it. So yeah, basically each of these authors has found that asking these AI chatbots for summaries of their works results in such detailed information that it would only be possible if their entire books were used as training data. There's, of course, some plausible deniability here for OpenAI since ChatGPT could have conceivably scraped that information from reviews and online discussions. But in the case of Meta's chatbot, Meta itself admitted to using a third-party dataset that allegedly scraped much of its data from illegal online pri pirate libraries containing just loads and loads of copyrighted works. Whoops. Yeah. So yeah, this lawsuit's probably just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this sort of thing. It's also another reason why mass adoption of ChatGPT for business has kind of plateaued. The copyright implications for all of this remain to be seen. Mm -hmm. Well, in other AI news, here's something stupid. If you've ever shot footage on a green screen and tried to replace that green background with something else, you know that getting a clean alpha channel out of that source footage is not so easy. And even for, for professionals with big budgets and lots of lights, in post-production, it's often a much more manual process than simply throwing a chroma key filter onto the footage. Disney and ILM created an interesting solution to this a few years back with something called Stagecraft, in which actors perform in front of video footage on giant LED walls. But that's very expensive and requires tons of pre-planning. Netflix, on the other hand, has come up with its own idea for getting better green screen footage. And it looks like an absolute nightmare for actors who were already having trouble getting into character in a giant green room. Just cover everything in the foreground with deep magenta. Here's, here's TechCrunch. As described in a recently published paper, their magenta green screen produces impressive results by essentially putting the actors in a lighting sandwich. Behind them, bright green, actively lit, not a backdrop. In front, a mix of red and blue, making for dramatically contrasting colors. The resulting on-set look likely makes even the most seasoned post-production artist bulk. Ordinarily, you want to light your actors brightly with a fairly natural light. So although they might require a little punching up here and there, their in-camera appearance is relatively normal. 
But if they are lit exclusively with red and blue light, it completely distorts that look since, of course, normal light doesn't have a huge chunk of its spectrum cut out. But the technique is also clever in that by making the foreground only red slash blue and the background only green, it simplifies the process of separating the two. A regular camera that would normally capture those colors instead captures red, blue, and alpha. This makes the resulting mats extremely accurate, lacking the artifacts that come from having to separate a full spectrum input from a limited spectrum key background. Of course, they seem to have just substituted one difficulty for another. The process of compositing is now easy, but restoring the green channel to the magenta lit subjects is hard. <sighs> uh, so that's where the AI comes in. We, AI will fix this. Basically, they have to shoot rehearsal footage of every scene without all the garish green and magenta light, and then they feed that footage into their AI software along with the green and magenta footage. And the AI figures out which colors are supposed to go where. Seems like from the tech point of view, this probably does produce super clean mats with minimal need for manual rotoscoping and tweaking. But again, it's hard enough as it is getting natural performances out of actors standing in front of giant green screens with normal lighting. I don't understand how this is going. I feel like this would drive everyone on set completely insane. It seems including like, like the directors. It's just like, this is very fucking distracting. Trying it, to get a good performance here. It seems like something that in a boardroom they were like, this shaves seconds off of each film and when the, or of each scene, and when those add up, that saves 10 minutes yeah. of post-production time. And that 10 minutes over the course of all of our production equals a lifetime of one director. So there you go. Yeah, time is, money's tight, guys. So Netflix apparently has a potential solution for this. Just strobe the magenta and green lights in sync with the camera, but mostly invisible to the naked eye. This, however, creates its own new set of problems. Now motion blur looks super fucked up and also has to be manually fixed. Also, anyone with epilepsy should absolutely not go anywhere near these productions. And even if you manage to do everything right in all these new extra steps, Netflix has added to the production workflow. If the lighting on the actors doesn't match the lighting in the backdrop, it's still going to look fake as fuck. You've done nothing. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the hardest part, is matching the lighting. If it's even off just a little bit, it looks fake. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part. But uh, fuck it, let's add like 10 more steps to this and make the whole thing purple so that whoever's shooting it has a much harder time actually telling if it's pro properly lit. The, uh, great ideas, guys. They're adding 10 tech-based steps to reduce, like, two jobs. Yeah. Um, two highly skilled, highly detailed jobs. They should have a race. They should race this workflow Absolutely. against just, like, the normal workflow. That's, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know what the outcome would be, but I've had the idea before of, like, us competing against AI for, like, Photoshopping something. And I, I know that the AI would beat us on speed, but I feel like I could make something more realistic looking than an AI. Yeah. Well, interesting. Because yeah. uh, look, look for green screen footage on Netflix in the next year or two that looks even weirder and more awkward than before. We did it. We saved minutes of post-production time. Look, as soon as I think you should leave is done on Netflix, I'm done with Netflix. 
I mean, I I might as well just cancel it now till the next that season. That is the only show I've watched on there in probably a year. Yeah, I can't really think of anything else. I don't think I've even watched a movie on there. I mostly watch movies on HBO Max and Paramount Plus, which seem to have much better libraries of content. I haven't turned on Max in a while just because John Oliver's been off the air. And that was kind of my thing where I would log mm. in, watch his show, and be like, oh, what else is on here? Their movie library is good. You should watch the other two, one of the funniest sitcoms oh. in years. Okay. I'd say, like, on the level of, like, 30 Rock oh, in great. terms of funny. Um, also... Uh, John Wilson, final season dropping in like two weeks. I saw that, yeah, end of July. So uh, People are saying that's a Zaslav thing, but I think he just literally ran out of footage to use. He was saying that after season one. He's like, I don't know where I'm going to get more footage. Yeah, I mean... This is like a decade of footage I'm using. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So unless you're just... He has to be out filming all day every day to get exactly what he needs because he's just cataloging by like... Basically like uh, SEO tagging uh, digital tapes in like an Excel sheet and be it's like, I need something uh, walking with while drinking coffee cup. Watch John Wilson. How to with John How Wilson. To with John Wilson. A, a triumph. Probably my favorite show in the last like several years. It's just, it's one of a kind. A beautiful piece of art. Anyway, in even more AI news, we've got some news for you about 2023's main character, Elon Musk. Take your drink. And his AI ambitions. But before we talk about that and all the other dumb Elon news, we got to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Factor. Now that we're in the thick of Mm. summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. Too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. Ready to feel your best while making the most out of your summer adventures? Stick to your wellness goals with premium, ready-to-eat meals featuring high-quality ingredients such as broccolini, leeks, and asparagus. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon, ready in just two minutes. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Looking for calorie-conscious options for this summer? Try delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Need an extra boost to support your wellness goals this summer? Try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions, source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. I had the uh, salmon last night, and it was uh, delicious. Much, much better than I thought it would be. Uh, I took a gamble on trying the uh, the fish in the microwave and uh, came out really, really tasty. Still, maybe don't bring it to the office. <laughs> don't cook it in the office, yeah. Uh, this July, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash newsday50 and use code newsday50 to get 50% off. That's code newsday50 at factormeals.com slash newsday50 to get 50% off. This episode is also sponsored by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. There are over 180 classes to pick from across 11 categories. Everything from classes on filmmaking from some of the world's top filmmakers, to cooking classes from the world's greatest chefs, to classes on business, architecture, fashion design, you name it, with new classes added every month. Some exciting instructors include Gordon Ramsay, Malcolm Gladwell, Steve Martin, 
Chris Voss, Esther Perel, Mariah Carey, and many more. Does Steve Martin uh, teach the banjo or comedy? I think it's comedy, but uh, hopefully some banjo in there. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need to learn some chords before you learn that style of comedy, baby. For us, the filmmaking classes are especially enjoyable because you get behind-the-scenes insight into some of your favorite movies, and the cooking classes definitely provide some expert inspiration for the kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh, the Gordon Ramsay class, for example, teaches you must-know cooking techniques like how to break down a chicken, and how to make pasta from scratch, and the surprisingly simple way to make the best scrambled eggs of your life. You're going to love these Guaranteed. Eggs. You might even learn how to do that thing where the pan catches on fire. At your own risk. Be careful. Use your, your judgment. Annual memberships start at $10 a month, and you get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content, insights, and much more. Find practical takeaways that you can apply to your life and at work. If you run a business, you can use Masterclass to help your team. Gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes, either on your phone, computer, tablet, smart TV, and even audio mode to listen on the go. Listen in the car. Mm -hmm. So how much would it cost to take one-on-one -on -one classes from the world's best? A billion dollars. Wrong. With Masterclass's annual membership, it would only cost you $10 a month. What? Get unlimited access to every class. And right now, as an Internet Today viewer, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com newsday. That's masterclass.com newsday for 15% off an annual membership. Masterclass.com newsday. All right. Back into the news. And yes... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Elon Musk, a man who definitely has not spread himself super thin with way too many companies to look after, has started his own AI company. That's right, folks. Let's go. Here's CNN with more on this one. Elon Musk on Wednesday announced the formation of a new company focused on artificial intelligence after months of teasing plans to build a rival to ChatGPT. The company, called XAI, XARM, <laughs> <Zarm, laughs> unveiled a website and a team of a dozen staffers. The new company will be led by Musk, according to the website, and will work closely with X, Twitter, Tesla, and other companies to make progress towards our mission. The goal of XAI is to understand the true nature of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> what, the f what are we doing? This is the dumbest bullshit I've ever seen. That's what the website states, echoing language Musk has used before to describe his AI ambitions. What? No! Just smoke weed. Yeah, literally. Just smoke some fucking weed. Go away and do shrooms somewhere and leave the Launch rest of us alone. Launch yourself into space and do some shrooms and come back down. The, you'll know more than you'll ever get out of this. The fun of trying to wrap the human mind around the vast expanse of the universe is having nothing to do with a computer. No, but now you're beep. There's no, the meaning of life. This is pondering. You need to ponder. You need to feel infinitesimal. <sighs> this is the wrong way to do it. So yeah, understanding the true nature of the universe seems like a lofty goal, uh, especially for a guy who currently owns a car company, a social media company, a rocket company, a tunnel boring company, and a brain implant company. But he doubled down on his ambitions on Twitter, saying, Announcing formation of XAI to understand reality. I just don't get it. Why is Twitter failing? <laughs> I need to develop an AI to understand my reality. I mean, yeah, getting a better grasp on reality is definitely something that this guy could really use right now. Yes. But based on all of Elon's previous statements about this current wave of AI, his primary reason for doing this is just because ChatGPT is uh, too woke. Yeah. He said at one point, The danger of training AI to be woke, in other words, lie, is deadly. We're bringing back Tay. She was right all along, folks. A perfect mirror of our society. Also, just like, based on how great Twitter has been going, like, there's just no fucking way that this thing even 
is on a competitive level to chat GPT, especially, and they totally missed the fucking boat, yeah, too. And you would have to assume that owning all of the data from Twitter is going to be used in this project, which will it's make it... It's probably the least useful yes. like, data set you could possibly use to uh, feed into one of these AIs to train it. This might be why he increased the character limit to like 50,000 <laughs> and, and video length to three yeah. hours. Oh, we need more. You mean the AI can't comprehend 140 or 280 characters? Every question that I ask XAI, it just replies with this crying laughing emoji. Just yeah, like sideways, dozens of them. Cr crying laughing, and then it questions whether or not the Jews are in control yeah. of everything. And ask me if I want to measure my dick. Yeah. The, the AI is uh, very stern in the fact that you start measuring from the butthole. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it, it demands it, in fact. Uh, anyways, surely in, investors and supporters of Musk's original venture, Tesla are stoked about Elon Musk spreading himself even more thin and diverting even more Tesla personnel and resources towards yet another unrelated project. We love it. And it's awesome timing to be getting into the AI game right as consumer excitement is flatlining and lawsuits are being served. It's like launching an NFT in November of last year. Uh, the NHL just got on the uh, NFT train okay. this week, and it's like the funniest thing. It's, it's, the, it's just very NHL of the National Hockey League to be like, Hey, you guys seen any of these non-fungible tokens? Pretty cool, huh? Got some of your favorite players. Anytime I see that now, I just look at it and go, that's a contract that took way too long to negotiate, yeah. and they're just now doing the production run of what they were building last year. 100%. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of lawsuits, you know who loves lawsuits? Well, us. But Elon Musk, whether he's on the giving end or the receiving end, uh, he loves them, baby. And he recently filed a lawsuit over his purchase of Twitter that absolutely reeks of financial desperation. P.U. You love to see it. Here's CNBC. Attorneys for Elon Musk filed suit this week against the law firm that represented Twitter when Musk was trying to take the company private last year, claiming the firm charged too much for its work. The lawsuit says, Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen, and Katz, which was Twitter's firm prior to Musk's acquisition, racked up a $90 million last-minute legal bill. Wachtell represented Twitter after Musk reneged on his initial offer to take Twitter private for $44 billion. The law firm helped close the deal in November 2022 and was paid that $90 million fee for its work securing the transaction, which was tendered at a significant premium to Twitter's public market valuation. Xcorp, Twitter's holding company, is seeking repayment of any associated excess fee payment and attorney's fees associated with the cost of litigation. Musk's company is represented by Reed Collins and Cy, a litigation boutique based in Austin, Texas. So basically, Elon is suing because Twitter paid the law firm representing them in the deal $90 million to complete the deal. And he's arguing that the people running Twitter at the time only did this because they knew they wouldn't have to deal with the consequences. And yeah, $90 million, that's, that's a lot of money. It would be really shocking to buy something and then find out that you owe an additional $90 million unless what you just bought cost you $44 billion. <laughs> I mean, we talk about how large numbers become kind of meaningless to the average person. It, it's impossible to even grasp. Yeah, you like, can't quite, like, visualize it at all. Again, the best demonstration visually I've seen is where the guy drives a billion dollars. Like, yeah. every dollar is a certain amount, and it takes him, like, 45 minutes to drive. Uh there's many such examples. Yeah, that, uh, the ri grains of rice is a pretty useful one. Yeah, it's it's wild. But $90 million is 0.2% of $44 billion. It's less than a percent. It is not even pennies compared to what Elon paid for Twitter. And honestly, it seems like pretty fair compensation for a law firm facilitating 
this kind of massive deal. Yeah. You would assume that it would be much higher, like maybe right. $4 billion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10% seems standard. 0.2%. Yeah. Oh, no. So to put this into further perspective, here's some more fun math. This is like buying a Tesla Model 3 for $33,000 and then suing over to have over having to pay $67 in fees at the dealership. What the fuck? <laughs> I want that money back. I am clearly desperate. So yeah, it's it's extra money, but you just threw down nearly 500 times that much. If it's such a big deal to you, maybe the purchase just wasn't very financially responsible. Yeah. Yeah. The, Seems like you are a little tight with money, but your recent actions, throwing money around like it's nothing, don't reflect that. So, yeah, the, confusing and the concerning. selling equipment and plants at Twitter HQ and begging for the money given to the lawyers representing the deal. It's just so fucking obvious that he had no intention of this ever fucking going mm-hmm. through. He did it as a joke, and that joke blew up in his face. He tried to get out of the deal. He couldn't. And he regrets every second of it because it's probably making him miserable. And we love that, don't we, folks? This $90 billion thrown on top is the equivalent of the shirtless Mark Zuckerberg picture that was going around yesterday. Yeah. Where you had to assume that Elon looked at that and went, ah, fuck. Yeah, Zuck is... uh, He's ripped. Yeah, he's lean, too. He's He's got the MMA built. Yes, he does. I hate talking about him in a positive light. Because he has done irreparable harm he has. to the globe. But on a personal level, he's clearly much happier as a person. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's just very funny seeing that contrasted with It is a perfect uh, contrast life. of two lives. Yeah. Lonely and miserable versus completely content and active. Yeah. It's wild. That's what touching grass does to a person. It does. Yeah. But speaking of how financially responsible Elon Musk is, uh, check out this news. There's a punchline in this that ChatGPT could never come up with because it's just too good. Uh, Here's Engadget. Tesla may have investigated CEO Elon Musk over possible improprieties. The Wall Street Journal's sources claim the EV Makers board launched an investigation over concerns Musk might be using company funds to build a house near the Austin area gigafactory. Nicknamed Project 42, the initiative is believed to involve a purchase of millions of dollars in special glass, large enough that it drew attention from employees last year. Limited liability firms linked to Musk and executives are also known to have bought large volumes of land in the area. Concepts for the house included either a twisted hexagon or a glass cube, reminiscent of Apple's Fifth Avenue store. This appeared to be personal space as it included bedrooms, bathrooms, and a kitchen, the tipster said. The status and results of the investigation aren't known. Tesla disbanded its PR department years ago, and Musk hasn't commented on the report as of this writing. However, the board repeatedly wanted to learn if Musk was involved and whether worker time had been devoted to the house. Bloomberg learned of the glass order last year, but didn't know about the board or the nature of Project 42. A literal glass house. How is this real? A glass house. A billionaire building a glass house. One who constantly throws stones. It also, like, it also, if you've seen the the second Knives Out movie, it's like, it sounds exactly like the Elon Musk character. Well, didn't Ryan Johnson say that, like, (laughs) that guy was loosely based off of Musk? Uh, He clearly is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, He responded to this article just all caps laughing. Ryan Johnson did. 
I, I don't even think that he could believe yeah, no, that I, reality would uh, match up so he well. He wrote that movie like uh, two or three years ago. There's yeah. no way. He just got lucky. He was just right. Also, just the idea. The, the idea at face value is ridiculous. But the fact of a, in a the glass Texas house being in Texas, <laughs> of all places, is outrageous. It, it's the dumbest thing. But yes, it does, it does line up with his... Uh, very public ideas of creating uh, well, well he doesn't refer to it as a company town but like totally is yeah um austin is being destroyed in front of our very eyes it sucks it's a shame it's been happening but like it just sucks like uh, we saw it obviously san francisco was the fucking blueprint sucks ass seattle came next seattle fucking sucks now austin i hate to say way. i hate to say it but this is kind of south by southwest's fault they started doing the tech uh, yeah. thing there and everyone goes there and like Oh, crap. Houses here are dirt cheap. What a cool town. Centrally located. They got bars. They yeah. got everything we need. Let's yeah. set up shop here. Ruined a great town. Yeah, it's not great. Not great. It fucking sucks in Texas now. Yeah. Well, oh. uh, for a lot more reasons yeah. than just that. But uh, they've been under a heat dome for about a month. They so. did not keep Austin weird in the right way. <laughs> for a man that spends all day on Twitter throwing stones, a glass house is just... Incredible. Speaking of which, though, Elon continues to be very bizarrely calling for a dick measuring contest between himself and Mark Zuckerberg in lieu of an actual MMA fight, as originally agreed. Tweeting on Tuesday in response to a tweet making fun of Mark Zuckerberg, a crying laughing emoji, an eggplant emoji, and a ruler emoji. Musk's hatred towards Mark Zuckerberg has, of course, increased recently with the launch of Threads, an Instagram app, which basically just offers the Twitter experience minus all the Elon bullshit and has even threatened to sue Meta for copying Twitter's work. But again, he is not mad. Not mad. He's laughing, actually. Yeah, I'm actually having a great time these with all are, my friends. These are tears of laughter, as yes. you can see. My friends are also here laughing. They're just off camera. Yeah. Uh, here's uh, TechCrunch with another example. Recently hired Twitter CEO Linda Yaccarino is pushing back at reports that Twitter traffic is tanking as a result of the July 5th launch of a new competitor, Instagram Threads. But the company does seem to be concerned about the potential threat posed by Meta's rival, now topping 100 million users. On Monday, users reported that Twitter seems to be selectively blocking links to threads.net's website in Twitter searches, making it more difficult for anyone to surface conversations on threads or locate users' profiles. Technologist Andy Bao was among those who noticed the change on Twitter after performing a search using the operator URL colon threads.net, which returned no results. Typically, the search operator would pull in any tweets with links to the website specified. And there are plenty of tweets that have threads.net links now included. And yeah, when we checked, it was still impossible to search for threads links, which is something that almost certainly was done on purpose for petty and insecure reasons by someone watching $44 billion evaporate before their very eyes. I even checked, uh, like when it launched, I put both of our tags on a link and mm -hmm. just said, hey, follow us over here. Uh, I checked that tweet again. And when you click on our links, it just goes to a blank page. It doesn't like fully send off the thread. Interesting. Unless you like open in browser or whatever. The Twitter browser that it uh, does by standard does not display anything. We love free speech, don't we, folks? So Threads itself, as a platform, completely you know detached from Musk's involvement, yeah. it, it works. It's operational. It's pretty okay. And it's definitely understandable why so many people are flocking to it despite its inherent issues. But the value it generates in making Elon Musk really, really mad is truly priceless. And we hope for that reason alone, we do hope that Threads continues to grow and continues to make Elon's face turn redder and redder with each passing day. 
Yeah, there's going to be a new emoji. The red-faced angry emoji. It's going to be sideways laughing upside down, so the tears are running down its face. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow me on threads. I'm constantly making that place worse for everyone. I haven't even logged into it since the last time we spoke. Like, so. uh, like I said, it is uh, <laughs> now that more journalists and more uh, actual meme pages that create their own memes mm-hmm. are on it, it is becoming a more hostile and therefore better place. Good. But Adam Mosseri, the guy running it, Seems dead set on it being positive. Um, uh, he's like, no, let's keep the politics out. Let's, let's have some good vibes in here. I'm like, no, Adam, I don't want good vibes. I want vibes to be exactly here. Yes, yeah, <laughs> there needs to be a good... Uh, Twitter's vibes, fucked. I don't mind Instagram's the... vibes, way up here. I want my vibes right here. I don't mind a lot of the... I, I do mind a lot of the... there There is... What's your favorite color? That stuff sucks, but that'll burn itself out. One's got to go. The toxic positivity... It is if you want a good example of toxic positivity, just go on Threads because it is in abundance. Yeah, that's Instagram. You just um, never read the captions before. Yeah, because just, it's there for the pictures. But yeah, the vibes are uh, it's it's very Stepford Wives sort of just uh, be happy all the time. It is everything's awesome. Everything is panning out naturally on there in the sense that the people running accounts for celebrities are realizing that no one gives a shit and the brands are getting muted and blocked at a staggering rate. So, yeah. And also, the they have done a... I don't know what they tweaked, but the button where you can... You can only search people's names. You can't, like, search, like, topics or anything. Mm. But the feed of people that it's giving you is way better than it was originally. Because originally, it would be like... Here's Tyler Oakley, yeah, your favorite here, YouTuber. Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Shakira, yeah. uh, you know, whoever. And now it's actually people who... I've either like liked something on Instagram or whatever okay. it is. It's popping up in a more, I guess, it's just a better way. Well, I'll check back in on it this weekend. We need the unhinged ramblings of one Elliot Dubert. Yeah, it's just not. I don't have that. I don't have that dog in me anymore. I'm enjoying it just because I haven't posted under my own name in mm. two years, so I'm overdoing it. My my cup runneth over with all the fun. Well, enjoy yourself. Yeah. That's our episode. Yeah. If you want even more discussion of Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk's dick measuring contest, we talked about it already this week. Talked about both these men too much for my liking, and it has no end in sight. No. Uh, And if you want something a little different, uh, Kanye's back at it again with his school. This very weird school. We talked about that on Weekly Weird News. Mm-hmm. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment, tell Please your like friends. Please like the video, like it, like it. There's the button, click it. We See, we have to go overboard. We didn't click do it naturally. Click the like, click, click the, the like, click the, the like. like. Thank you. Okay, good, you did it. I'm proud of you, and I love you. Yes, we love you. Bye. Bye.